We here at the 13 Podcast Abandoned Summer Camp Compound hope that you had a great Halloween. We've put together two big files for the Fall of 98 series so that you can listen seamlessly without all of the intros and outros. We tried to do one file, but it was too big. So this is episodes one through three, and the following one will be episodes four and five. We hope you enjoy. And just a reminder, when the 13th falls on a weekend, we release the following Monday. So we'll see you again on November 14th. I grew up where three medium-sized towns all come together and form a little city. It was called the Tri-Cities. My town was just past the suburbs. It wasn't rural exactly. Think of the very edge of a big metro area, and then imagine the next town past it. That was us. I grew up in church, and I really liked it there. It was the place where I'd always felt most comfortable. I looked forward to seeing my friends on Sunday mornings, and again on Sunday and Wednesday nights. Friends from school came and went, but those core friendships from church always stayed the same. The church was still pretty small when I was a little kid, but a new pastor took over while I was in elementary school. And over the next few years, the church grew fast. In just a couple of years, they were building a whole new wing with a huge new sanctuary to accommodate everyone. The new side of the building was almost twice the size of the old side. That meant more families, and with more families, more kids were coming to youth group too. A few years later, they started building again, this time a big youth wing on the other side of the original building. There was a gym with a basketball court, a big youth group area with couches and TVs and game consoles. With all the new people, and especially all the new kids in youth group, things were different than those early days when we were just a few very closely knit families. But that just meant that there were more friends to love. And there was still something special about that core group of us that had been here forever. One of the cool things about our church is that it was close to the high school. Our youth pastor convinced the church leadership to open the youth side of the building on weekday afternoons so that we could come and hang out after school. The thinking was that if we were at the church, we weren't out getting into trouble. This is a story about my senior year of high school. And most of this story will take place right inside those church walls. Not because the church had anything in particular to do with these events. It's because so much of my life took place there. It was the fall of 1998, and I just turned 18. There are three things that happened in the fall of 1998. I'm going to tell you about all of them. It was the year that a serial killer started operating in the towns around the Tri-Cities. It's the year I kissed a boy for the first time. And it's the year that I may have been possessed by a demon. So let's start from the beginning. 
The first day of my senior year of high school was the day that they found the third body. It's when they officially announced that these three girls were believed to be victims of the same murderer. Three girls, in three different towns, in three months. They were all about our age. They were all taken from public places. The police came to our school to warn us about him. They gave a big presentation in the gym. The first girl was out at a bar at the edge of the metro. It was her 21st birthday, and she was just home from college on summer break. She stepped outside for some fresh air, and she never came back in. Her body was found a week later. The next girl was at a bonfire in the woods where some kids were drinking and getting high. It was far outside of town, way out on a one-lane road. She was the first to leave the party just after dark. She was going home, but she never made it. Her car was found about an hour after leaving. Another group of kids who were leaving the same party drove up on her car in the middle of the road. Like she'd just come to a stop. The driver's side door was standing open, headlights still on, engine running. She was never found. The most recent one snuck out of her house to go meet her boyfriend. They lived in the same neighborhood and were planning to meet at a park. It was only a couple of streets over from her house. Her boyfriend arrived at their meeting spot and waited. He waited long past the time they were supposed to meet, thinking that her parents hadn't gone to bed at their usual time, or she'd fallen asleep. He sat on the swings for an hour before giving up and going home. The next morning, her parents found the back door still unlocked from where she'd snuck out. She'd been intercepted somewhere between her house and the park. That last girl, the one who never made it to the park, she went missing a week before school started. It was her body that they found the morning of the first day of school. They were all the same type. Young women, high school or college girls, girls like me. We watched the state police presentation from the bleachers. They told us to stay vigilant, to stay in groups when we were in public, and to never separate from your group no matter what. The killer was striking often and not leaving a trace. His victims were in public. They weren't very far from other people places where he could have easily been seen. The police don't believe that these are his first victims. This guy knew what he was doing, and all it took was letting your guard down for a moment. The media and the police even gave him a name, the Tri-City Killer. It was all anyone talked about that day. What a way to start the school year. The fact that there was an active serial killer in our area changed a lot of things for a lot of people. But honestly, life wasn't that different for me. My best friend Valerie, Val for short, lived one street over. We had always walked to school together, so when they warned kids to stay in groups, to never be out alone, we'd already been doing that. 
The only thing that changed was that Val's mom stood on her porch and watched until she got to my front door before getting in her car and leaving for work. The doorbell meant Valerie was out front. I gave my mom a hug and said goodbye on my way out the door. And me and Val started walking the five minutes to school. As we started down the street, I saw a couple girls dressed all in black outside Amy Peretti's house. Amy had been friends with me and Valerie when we were kids. She grew up in the church with us. She used to be part of that original group. Until we had a falling out. I'll tell you more about Amy later. The only thing you need to know for now is that her friends and my friends don't get along. Since the youth wing of the church was open in the afternoons, a whole group of the youth group kids walked together to the church after school. The ones that had cars would sometimes drive us, but while the weather was nice, we walked. Not all the youth group kids came to church after school, not even most of us. But those of us who did became a really close-knit group. At 5 p.m., the church staff cleared out the new side of the building and locked the doors. So after five, we had the whole youth wing to ourselves. The doors in the youth wing were all push bars. So after the church staff locked them, they'd close and lock for the night after the last person left. Today, there's no way a church staff would just let kids hang out in the building alone. But the 90s were different. Also, youth pastor Tom stopped in to check on us after hours at least a couple times a week. But there was a reason that we liked to go to church after school, beyond just hanging out with our friends. That reason was Cameron Reese, Cam for short. Cam and some of the other boys played basketball at the church gym after school. When we arrived that first day of school, the boys were already on the court. Me and Val found a couple of the open couches that were pushed up against the walls. Could you at least try not to stare? Oh no, was it that obvious? Val gave me a look that said, yes, it was absolutely that obvious. I'd known Cam since I was a little kid. He was like Val and me. We'd all grown up together in this church. I couldn't remember a time before I knew him. And, as soon as I was old enough to start having crushes on boys, I had one for Cam. You should wear those jeans again. He definitely noticed you then. I could feel my cheeks turning red. She's talking about a specific pair of jeans that I have. I didn't realize it when I bought them, but they're designed to really accentuate certain parts of your body. I wore them to school last year, and when we came to the church afterward, youth pastor Tom pulled me aside. He told me that I should think about how the way I dress could cause some of the boys to stumble in their faith. I know this is kind of awkward, but it's important that we look out for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Boys your age, they aren't completely in control of their thoughts. Even the boys that you've known your whole life. They may be looking at you differently now that you're maturing. 
I tried to explain that I wasn't intentionally trying to cause anyone to sin, and I hoped he believed me. Look, you're a beautiful girl, and you're going to have a very lucky husband someday. I just don't want you to get the wrong kind of attention now. I was mortified. And after that, I was never going to wear those jeans in public again. I respected Youth Pastor Tom. He'd always been there for us when we needed him, even if it sometimes felt uncomfortable. Speaking of Youth Pastor Tom, just then he walked into the gym. He stood in the doorway, as though assessing the room, taking stock of who was there. He called out for everyone to come over and gather around. Youth Pastor Tom, we called him that because that's how he introduces himself, spoke up and started by wishing us all a good start to the school year. And then he started talking about the missing girls. So I want to let all of you know that things are going to be a little bit different this year. It's a scary time out there. We've got a dangerous man on the loose. So at least until they catch this guy, we're going to have some new rules in place. Now this is important. Rule number one, don't let anyone in that you don't know. Rule number two, nobody stays at the end of the night alone. The church leadership is committed to making sure that this space is available to all of you as long as we can follow the rules. If the adults have left and there are two of you here, you need to wait for the other one's parents to arrive before you leave. Nobody gets left behind waiting by themselves and nobody walks home alone. Val and I gave each other a look. We were usually the last ones out at the end of the night. That wouldn't be a problem. Okay, there's one more thing that I want to talk about. Something that might be a little sensitive, but I think it's important. I want you to think about these girls. Think about the victims. What were they doing when this guy found them? Drinking? Drugs? Sex? I'm not saying that this was their fault, but a lifestyle of sin puts you in dangerous situations. And it's an invitation for more sin. When you give the devil an opening, the devil will use it. He doesn't play fair. So watch out for each other, keep each other accountable, and most of all, keep each other safe. I'm not sure I agreed with what he had to say about the girls bringing this on themselves. After all, the second girl left the bonfire because she didn't want to be around drugs. And the most recent one was sneaking out to meet her boyfriend, sure, but we don't know that they were going to have sex. But Youth Pastor Tom was right. If they hadn't gone to a bar, gone to the party where there would be drugs, or snuck out in the first place, this wouldn't have happened to them. And he was right about another thing. The devil doesn't play fair. It's something Youth Pastor Tom told us a lot. And to explain why, it's time for me to tell you about what happened with Amy, the girl down the street. When we were in the sixth grade, Amy and I were still close friends. 
She was one of us in the original group of kids from church, before it started growing so fast. All the girls used to have sleepovers, and usually they were at Amy's house. She had a big basement, completely finished, almost like its own little apartment. We'd gotten our hands on a scary movie. It was about this group of high school girls who were witches. A new girl comes to their school and completes their coven. They have such a tight bond, and they can do magic together. Later in the movie, they turn on each other, and everything goes really bad. That's the scary part. But I always loved the first half of the movie, where they bond and become like sisters. I kind of felt like that with the youth group girls. I won't pretend I was completely oblivious. I'd heard about witchcraft and heavy metal music, and I knew that Christians weren't supposed to like those things. But we were kids, and it looked like so much fun in the movie. It became part of every sleepover for the next few months. We watched the movie, we played little games, light as a feather, stiff as a board. We put together a kind of homemade Ouija board, and we made our own tarot cards. We tried smoke manipulation, where you can concentrate on smoke from a candle or incense and make it straighten out or bend however you want it to. That one never worked. I knew it was wrong, but some part of me liked the spookiness of it. There was a sense of danger, a kind of magic. The last night that we had a sleepover at Amy's, we played Bloody Mary. Five of us crammed into the downstairs bathroom and lit a candle. Amy turned off the light and we said her name. Bloody Mary. Once. Twice. And just as we said her name one last time, Amy blew out the candle and we were plunged into darkness. There were giggles and surprised squeals, but I didn't make a sound. As the light went out, I had a different reaction. I stared hard into the mirror, and at the last second before the light vanished, I looked into a face that I could have sworn wasn't mine. We never found out who did it, but someone told their parents what we were doing at those sleepovers in Amy's basement. Our parents had come of age during the satanic panic in the 80s. They watched news specials about satanic vandalism in the cities, bands putting satanic messages in their albums if you played them backwards. They'd put so much energy into sheltering us from all of that, but it found us anyway. Within hours, the news of what we'd been doing spread to all of the parents at the church. It became its own little panic. There was an emergency meeting where we all came together at the church and the pastors and our parents prayed over us. I still remember walking into the church that night. It was one of the first cold nights of the year. Passing the dark Sunday school rooms on our way to the fellowship hall, the place felt off. 
We all sat in a circle while our parents stood over us and prayed that any demonic influence that had crept into our spirits would be driven out. It was supposed to be reassuring, but honestly, it was terrifying. The pastors walked around from one of us to the next and begged God to save us from ourselves. I hadn't been afraid before that night. I hadn't really taken any of this that seriously. But if this is the kind of response it deserved, I must have been playing a very dangerous game. There's a word for this in evangelical circles. It's called spiritual warfare. It's the idea that you can open yourself up to dark spirits, demonic spirits. The fear with spiritual warfare and demonic influence isn't that you'll become possessed like in The Exorcist. The real fear is that demonic influence is just that, influence. Those spirits will slowly and carefully try to lead you away from God and the church. And according to everyone from youth pastor Tom to Billy Graham, spiritual warfare is happening all around us all the time. Demonic influence is everywhere. It's infiltrated popular culture, music, movies, books, and TV, and it very gradually leads you away from God's truth. A lot of the time, they would simply call it following the world instead of following God. And without realizing it, over time, you've separated yourself from God. You've allowed yourself to be lured away. That night was the first time that I heard that phrase, and I think about it all the time now. The devil doesn't play fair. We weren't allowed to have sleepovers for a while after that. Our parents kept us apart outside of church. I didn't see the other girls very much. But Amy lived right down the street. Before all of this, the two of us spent more time together than any of the others. But now, we waved to each other from a distance. And that was it. Amy didn't take any of this well. Her parents wanted her to do counseling with the new youth pastor, Youth Pastor Tom. I guess it didn't go well, because soon after that, her family started going to a different church. And then Amy stopped going to church altogether. Mrs. Hart, Emily Hart's mom, had been one of the unofficial youth group leaders, and she tried to reach out to Amy, but it was no use. I guess Amy had made up her mind. After a few months, when summer break started, all of our parents let us start hanging out again. We even had sleepovers again. We invited Amy to come back, but she never did. She and I had been so close. It hurt. It felt like all of a sudden she didn't care about me anymore. Like I was nothing. When we started seventh grade, she was hanging out with the girls who wear black and listen to metal music. The whole group of them made up names for themselves like Raven and Samara. Pretty soon, Amy became one of them. 
But as for me, I didn't change. She went one direction, and I went another. Five years later, we still live down the street from each other. But we don't talk. A couple of weeks went by, and we were fully settled into our senior year of high school. We had youth group on Sunday nights, and the first Sunday night of September, youth pastor Tom made an announcement. It was time to start preparing for the walk through hell. The walk through hell was our church's big Halloween event, a Christian alternative to the secular haunted house, and the youth group were the ones who put on the show. It ran every Thursday through Saturday for the month of October. Everyone from church came, and it was open to the public, so a lot of people from other churches came too. Even though it still felt like summer, fall was just around the corner, and October would be here before we knew it. The premise of the walk through hell is exactly what it sounds like, and it's one of my favorite times of the year. It's a way to enjoy the spooky season without having to participate in the secular world's idea of Halloween. But it wasn't just the event itself that I loved. The whole youth group spends weeks rehearsing for our roles in the show. We build massive sets and decorate the entire youth wing of the church. It's a huge undertaking. And there's a kind of camaraderie that comes with it. You know how it is when you spend that much time with a group of people, all working towards something together. It's a bonding experience. I don't like being scared. But even something as scary as the walk through hell doesn't bother me when I'm surrounded by my friends. The preparations for the walk through hell would start right away, and it would take most of next month. Here's how the whole production would go. The audience would come through in groups. Each group would start out in the gym where they'd stop and see three skits before they got to the really scary stuff. The lights would come up on a set that was made to look like a party house. One of the youth group kids would go from room to room in the party house and act like they were drinking or doing drugs. Then they'd pretend to overdose and die. The spotlight would move to another room at the party where two other youth group kids would start dancing and they'd sneak away to another room. The implication, of course, was that they were sneaking off to have sex. Fast forward, and they're driving away together after the party, and they die in a car wreck. There would be a couple more scenes like that. You get the idea. Once all the scenes are over, the lights will go down, and the crowd will be escorted through the door to the hallway between the gym and the rest of the youth wing. That's where they'd enter a maze that was almost completely dark. It's meant to feel claustrophobic. It symbolizes being lost and separated from God. But I also think it's just meant to be scary. It's a haunted house after all. After they get through the maze, there's a section of hallway that's made up to look like a cave. It's just heavy duty brown industrial packing paper, all crinkled up and held up on a scaffolding that arches over the hallway. When the lights are off and all the other props are in place, it looks very real. This is the walk through hell. It's the scariest part of the haunted house. Most of the youth group kids will be there, 
basically anyone without a speaking role. A few of the kids will be dressed to look like the ones in the opening skits who had committed sins and then died. And the sins that condemn them are going to be written on the walls of the cave over them. The rest of us are dressed as other people condemned to hell. The cave will have strobe lights and speakers playing loud, scary organ music. This is the part of the show where I always end up. And that's fine with me. As far as I'm concerned, the idea of a speaking role is more terrifying than anything else in the show. Once the crowd gets through the hell cave, they'll end up in the sanctuary where Jesus is up on a cross. Jimmy Barrow will play Jesus, like always. He's the only boy in youth group with long hair. Youth Pastor Tom will give a sermon about how Jesus can save you from the hell you just walked through. And then they ask for donations, and the show is over. The show starts every hour from 7 to 10 on Thursdays, and until midnight, Friday and Saturday. And every show is usually a packed house. The whole youth group would work on building the walk through hell. But those of us who came to hang out at church after school would be the ones who did the vast majority of the work. And that was fine. It made sense. We were just there more. The boys mostly stayed together, building the scaffolding and frame for what would become the maze and hell cave portion. The girls worked on the sets for the scenes at the beginning of the show. But it wasn't completely separated by gender. Everyone did a little bit of everything. I usually liked having time with the other girls while the boys were off doing their own thing. But this year, something changed. The following Monday, after we all got to the church and got to work, I thought I saw Cam sneaking glances at me when he thought I wasn't looking. I tried not to make it obvious that I knew, and I told Val about it. It kept happening all week, and I'm pretty sure he caught me a couple times too. I was hoping he'd find an excuse to break away and come talk to me, but small town dating is complicated. Friend groups are so intertwined. You didn't make a move unless you were certain of the outcome. If it went the wrong way, everyone would know that you'd put yourself out there and gotten rejected, and that would be humiliating. Nonetheless, Val kept egging me on to make the first move. But there was no way that was going to happen. That Friday night, after the first week of construction on the walk through hell, I sat awake in my room. I was having trouble sleeping. Nothing in particular was keeping me up. I just couldn't sleep. When this happens, my mind wanders. And that night, lying in bed, my mind wandered to Cam. I closed my eyes, and I imagined the youth wing of the church after school. It was just the two of us, me and Cam, the last ones. In my fantasy, I was wearing those jeans. The ones that youth pastor Tom told me I shouldn't wear around boys like Cam. But I felt sexy and confident in them. In my fantasies, 
I'm not self-conscious and shy like I am in real life. I'm mysterious and alluring, and he was the one trying to figure out how to get my attention, not the other way around. I told him that I needed something from the other side of the church, and we walked together out of the youth wing. We went through the long hallway that arced around the church's old sanctuary. There was a red glow far ahead of us coming from the exit sign. In the rooms on either side, a purple twilight was coming through the windows and filtering out into the hallway. We kept going. The tension was heavy. As we passed beneath the exit sign, we were bathed in an eerie red glow. We'd reached the church offices and the new Sunday school classrooms. And then finally, we reached the far side of the building. We passed through the big double doors into the new sanctuary. It was large and cavernous, tall ceilings and rows of pews leading up to a big state-of-the-art stage. The sanctuary had worship music playing over the speakers around the clock to bless the building and to keep the space holy. The stage had long wraparound stairs so you could walk up there from any side. And front and center, at the top of those stairs, was a big wooden altar. It must have weighed 500 pounds. Our assistant pastor actually broke his foot when they moved it and he put it down wrong. On the altar, there was a collection of candles with glass chimneys around them. Just like the music, the candles burned 24 hours a day. The church leaders referred to it as the eternal light, a reminder that God's justice is perfect and that he doesn't make mistakes. I could feel the tension in my body as Cam and I stood there, taking in the big room. I looked up to the tech booth on the back wall of the sanctuary. It was about 20 feet up and it looked like a balcony sticking out into the room. I gestured up at the balcony and Cam finally spoke. Do you want to go up? He asked. I took his hand and we went to the door at the back wall. It led to a stairwell that took you up to the booth. From up here, we could see the entire room cavernous and empty and bathed in blue light. There was a heavy darkness hanging over the baptistry behind the stage. It made the whole place feel a little dangerous. I liked that. I felt his fingers graze against mine. He didn't pull away, and neither did I. I pressed my shoulder to his as we stood side by side. My adrenaline was pumping, my heart beating, and my head was feeling light. The feeling you get when you know it's inevitable. I turned to face him, and he did the same. Our eyes met. My expression was confident. He took a step in and closed the distance between us. His fingertips had been grazing the back of my hand, but now they were gliding up and down the length of my arms, leaving a trail of goosebumps in his wake. I closed my eyes and I let the sensation wash over me, 
let out a little sigh just as he grazed over my shoulders and collarbones. I gave him a look that said, are you gonna do it or not? And he did. Our lips met first in gentle grazes, then they became firm, hard kisses. My hands found his hips and worked their way up his sides and then to his chest and neck. We stay like this for a while, kissing and touching in the blue moonlight coming in through the windows. I like these moments, but my mind wants more. As I lay awake in my bed at home, my body is tense and expectant. I feel his hands, my hands, tracing the side of my neck. He takes my hand and lifts it up, spinning me around so my back is to his chest. He pulls me tight against him. He traces my lips with his finger. Then he moves gently from my mouth, down my neck, then tracing my sternum. He makes his way down my stomach. My eyes have been closed, but I open them, looking out into the sanctuary. And suddenly, I feel a wave of fear. From the corner of my eye, there's movement. There's someone in the sanctuary. I try to say something, but my words catch in my throat. A figure comes into view, walking slowly down one of the aisles between the pews. It's the figure of a man, dressed all in black. He's almost blurry at the edges. Cam hasn't seen him yet. He's still kissing my neck and running his hand down my stomach. I'm breathing heavy. His fingertips graze over where my hip bones meet the waist of my jeans. I feel like I might hyperventilate, like I might faint. Then he finds my top button and expertly pops it open. The figure stopped and turned toward the sound. Even though he looked directly at us, I couldn't see his face. And then... No. I can't, I can't do this. I laid there in bed, my mind startled by the turn my fantasy had taken, and my body still tense from the lack of release. I looked at my alarm clock, big orange numbers. It was almost two in the morning. Off in the distance, I heard a low, growling thunder. Outside of my window, the faint flashing of lightning far off on the horizon lit up my otherwise dark room. I kept my eyes on the window, not because of the oncoming storm, but because of an irrational fear that comes over me every time I do what I just did. 
I have this feeling that I'm being watched. I feel like I'm being watched all the time. I know it's wrong to fantasize about having sex in the church. But when I think about it happening at home, it just doesn't feel real. I can't even make the fantasy work. I'd be so terrified of my parents finding out that it ruins it, even in my mind. And the church, well, that's where I see Cam. It's the place that feels the most real. I want to be a good Christian so badly. It's what I try to organize my life around. So why am I not able to keep these feelings under control? Just then, I was startled by a loud peal of thunder. Something changed in the room. I looked over at my alarm clock again. The orange numbers on the display were gone. The power had gone out. I got up and I went to the kitchen to find a candle. I lit it and made my way back to my bathroom. I stood in front of the mirror, the light filling up the room, and I got lost in my thoughts again. Usually, after I give in to my body, I feel ashamed or disgusted with myself. But sometimes, sometimes I feel powerful and defiant. It's almost like the feeling comes from somewhere outside of myself. It's been happening more often lately. That thought again. Has the world gotten to you? I think back to that night in the sixth grade, when we'd been found out for dabbling with witchcraft and the adults all prayed over us. The other girls who were there at those sleepovers never brought it up again. For them, it's like it never happened. And I forgot about it for a while too. But for the past few months, ever since this summer began, I couldn't forget that night when all the adults prayed over us, the look of concern in their eyes. When this feeling comes over me, I can't help but wonder if maybe their prayers didn't work for me. I remembered looking into that mirror when we played Bloody Mary in the sixth grade. That last moment before Amy blew out the candle, not recognizing my own face. I have a secret. A secret I haven't told anyone yet. As I stood in my own bathroom, I watched the smoke from my candle zigzag upward, chaotic and frantic motions and I stare at my face in the mirror. There was a reason I worried that my parents' prayers didn't work all those years ago. I reached my hand just inches from the edge of the candle's flame. I took in the frenetic energy of the smoke rising from the wick, the feeling of chaos. I imagined that the candle and I were connected and that we were feeling the same thing. And I focused on the smoke dancing off of the flame. I took a deep breath 
and made my mind go still. And just like that, instantly, like flipping a switch, the smoke rose in a straight line. No more erratic dancing, no more chaos. Back in the mirror, I still looked like me, but something was off. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. The night that the power went out, I was so exhausted, I fell right to sleep despite the angry grumbles of thunder and bright lights from the storm outside. When I woke up the next morning, the power was back on. My alarm clock was flashing all zeros, waiting to be reset. These little episodes have been happening all summer. I'd have these awful nightmares or, like last night, intrusive thoughts or visions. My face mismatched in the mirror. That fantasy about Cam stuck with me through the rest of the weekend. Both parts of it. The desire and the fear. It was all so vivid. I hadn't told anyone that I could do little things like controlling smoke with my concentration. That was new, too. I wasn't even sure that it was me doing it. It didn't work all the time, but I didn't dare tell anyone about it. I knew what they'd think. Besides, if Emily Hart finds out, it's only a matter of time before Miss Hart hears about it. And she'll tell Youth Pastor Tom. It's not malicious. She'll do it out of concern. But I don't want to end up in another prayer meeting. But, maybe that's what I need. After all, if there was something demonic or satanic going on, if I'm being attacked for my faith, I put the thought away. I'm not going to risk all of the embarrassment over something that might not even be real. Later that week, after school, Val and I were at the church working on one of the sets for the walk through hell. Cam was with the boys, goofing off while they were supposed to be building the walls of the maze. Val caught me looking again, and I just asked her outright, do you think that God counts fantasies as sin? I knew the answer. The Bible treats lust and sex as basically the same thing. But I was still shaken by that vision of the man in black in the sanctuary. I needed to get it off my chest, and Val was my best friend. Ooh, I don't know. Why? I hadn't thought about what I was going to say next, and I knew she was going to make it a big deal. 
but I did it anyway. She was a little taken back by my silence and changed the subject. Is everything okay? Wait, have you been having naughty thoughts about Cam? I tried to shush her without anyone noticing. Just go talk to him before someone else does. I see him look over here sometimes. I bet he has the same kind of thoughts about you. Ew, gross. He's a boy. They all do it. Just then, Cam looked our way and I was mortified. He saw us looking at him and giggling. I'm sure my face was bright red. Relax. He can't hear us all the way over there. You know what? Watch. It's this easy. Val stood up and started walking toward the boys and Cam. Stop! What are you doing? I watched Val cross the room. She waved to get Cam's attention and he broke away from the other boys and did a little jog to meet her halfway. I saw her whisper something in his ear. It all happened in slow motion. There was a look of recognition on his face. Then he looked over and found me. My jaw dropped open and my vision went red with humiliation. Was she actually doing what I thought she was doing? When he saw that I was watching, he turned away fast. I was in shock. She started walking back over to me and I turned around. I couldn't even look at her. I heard her footsteps approach and I was about to walk away when I realized that the footsteps were far too heavy to be Val. I looked over my shoulder and Cam was right there. Hey, um, Val said we should probably get to work on putting the braces together for the cave. I didn't say anything for a moment. My heart was beating against my ribs, but that was still because I was mad at Val. I hadn't even adjusted to Cam's presence yet. I realized that I hadn't answered and I was just staring. I can get the stuff up high and you can do the bottom if you want. I snapped out of my stupor and spoke up. Look, I'm so sorry. I don't know what she told you, but she's just messing around. He looked away for a moment. Why did I say that? What if he actually does like me? He was still looking off to the side when he spoke again. You know, if she wasn't messing around, I'd be okay with that. I think it'd be cool. I realized in that moment that no one had ever told me that they liked me. I could tell when they did, but no one had actually said it. And I guess, technically, he didn't say it either. But I think that counts. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I can help you out. Cool. Uh, let me finish up this piece and I'll meet you over there. This is Youth Group Code. Cam and I can't be seen walking out of the youth wing together. People will talk. They'll probably even follow and spy on us. So I kept an eye on the group of boys and waited for him to break away and go to the old part of the church. Soon, Cam got up and started down the hallway presumably to wait for me, and then we'd work on the Hell Cave and talk. What would we even talk about? 
Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Val coming back over. She had an I told you so look on her face. I was still mad at her. What she did was a huge betrayal. See, I told you. I didn't respond. Instead, I stood up and walked in the same direction that Cam had gone. Really? How are you mad about this? My mind was on fire the whole way there. Was this even something I wanted? I mean, in one sense, I definitely wanted it. But in another, it could mess up our whole friendship forever. What if he started to get to know me better and then he realized he didn't like me after all? We've been friends for a long time, but it's different when it's romantic. At least that's what I've heard. I wouldn't know. The sounds of the other youth group kids faded behind me. As I got closer to where the cave would be, I started talking myself out of it. I was going to go over and tell him that Val was messing around, that this was a misunderstanding, that I didn't really have feelings for him, whatever I had to say to make things go back to normal. But when I turned the next corner, Cam was waiting, leaning against the wall, looking anxious and adorable, and and I melted. I was about to ask where he wanted to start. The whole cave portion hadn't even been touched yet. But just then, he walked toward me and grabbed my face with both of his hands. He leaned in, he pressed his lips against mine, and I froze. His hands on my face squeezed tighter than I would have liked. But even so, my breath caught in my chest, and I felt butterflies. I realized that I hadn't been kissing him back, so I started moving my lips in time with his. He put his arms around my waist, like we were at a high school dance. I didn't know what to do with my hands, so I kept them at my sides. We kissed for a minute longer, and I was starting to let myself go get out of my head and just get lost in the moment. And then, I heard something down the hall. It was the faint rhythm of footsteps. Cam and I broke apart as soon as we registered the sound and we pretended to be working. A few moments later, youth pastor Tom came around the corner. Hey guys, what are we doing down here? Cam spoke first. Just getting started with the frame for the cave. Before we finish the maze? Oh, uh, does that come first? Yeah, we need to secure the outside of the wall to the maze or the whole thing will slump. I thought you worked on this last year. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, must have forgot. Why don't we go on back over with the others? We'll get back to the cave sometime next week. Cam gave me a quick look, and then we started toward the fellowship hall. That's when Youth Pastor Tom called out my name. Hey, Caitlin. Hang back for a second. That's me. I'm Caitlin. I cringed. My hands started to tremble, and my chest sank. I thought I might actually cry. My lips still felt tingly, and I wondered if they looked different. Could he tell? Look, it's no big deal. You're not in any trouble. I just want to check in with you. 
You and Cam, you've been friends for longer than I've known either of you, and Cam is a great kid. But you're at an age where you really have to keep your guard up against temptation. It can be dangerous hanging out with boys alone. Even if you go into it with a completely pure heart, sometimes our bodies can betray us, even when we have the most innocent of intentions. I was barely listening. I was mostly thinking about how I wanted to kill Val. Boys your age, they're unpredictable. They can't control themselves. And sometimes that can rub off on the girls too. He put his hand on my shoulder. When you get to be my age, men tend to calm down. They're more in control of themselves. They know how to treat women with respect. There was a long pause until I realized I was supposed to say something. We were just working on the cave. We weren't trying to sneak off or anything. It came out way too defensive, and I knew it. I believe you. Let's get back over with the others. He took his hand off of my shoulder and walked back to the youth wing with me. When I came back through the double doors with Youth Pastor Tom, everyone was trying to act like they weren't looking at us. I spotted Val across the room, by the set we'd been building. She had a look that was some combination of concern and pity. Cam was back with the group of boys. He didn't look up when I came in. I had dueling desires to run to Val for comfort and to slap her as hard as I could. But instead, I ducked into the bathroom. And once inside, I locked the door and let the tears come pouring out. I did my best not to sob, to stay silent. I'm not sure how much time passed. When the tears finally stopped, I stood up and took a look at myself in the mirror. How obvious were my puffy face and red eyes going to be? Ugh, they were bad. I closed my eyes and splashed water on my face. When I opened them up and checked the mirror again, my face, it didn't match my expression. I watched as a big, menacing smile curled up on the edges of my lips. I closed my eyes and I took a deep breath. And when I opened them again, it was just me. Scared, pitiful me. And that's the story of my first kiss. The next morning, my doorbell rang. I rolled my eyes and hesitated before going to the door. I'd been dreading this moment as I laid awake all night long, watching my ceiling fan in the dark. Val stood on the porch. She looked anxious, too. Last night, after everything had happened, I left the church without saying anything. We walked in silence for a little while, before Val spoke up. Okay, look, I'm really sorry. I had no right to do that. I just thought... I've seen the way he looks at you, and I thought I would just help the process along. I didn't say anything right away. I mean, you guys did kiss, right? 
I felt the color drain from my face. Don't worry. He just told me and, like, one of the other boys. We were the last ones to leave. He told you? Come on, it was cute. He felt so bad about the way it happened. The way you had to walk back in there by yourself. Youth Pastor Tom really didn't think that through. Was she enjoying this? I asked exactly what Cam said. I don't know, just that you all kissed for a minute before you got interrupted. He couldn't go talk to you when you came back in or it would be obvious. He felt awful that he couldn't. That's why he was getting it off his chest. I felt some of the weight start to lift off of my own chest. I'd been so upset that he ignored me afterward, but maybe he was just as scared as I was. She's right. If he came over and talked to me again, whatever doubts were in Youth Pastor Tom's mind about what we'd been doing would be gone. And he might have to notify our parents. Maybe this wasn't the catastrophe I thought it was. Maybe Cam wasn't blowing me off. I'd see him at school today and feel it out. If nothing else, we could just call it a mistake and go back to being friends. But maybe, maybe he still liked me. I didn't have to wait long. Here's the thing about rumors. A lot of times, the people there about are the last ones to hear them. I walked into the cafeteria and scanned the room to find Cam. I found him, we met eyes for just a moment, and then he looked away. No wave, no smile. It was like he didn't know me. Val saw me coming and intercepted me. She pulled me back into the hallway outside the cafeteria. She looked serious, and Val was never serious. That's when she told me that everyone knew about me and Cam, except Cam had told it wrong. She told me that everyone thought that I tried to kiss him and he tried to stop me, and that Youth Pastor Tom had come around just in time before I tried to do something else. I was speechless. Cam had been waiting for me in the old church hallway. He grabbed me and held my face in his hands. He definitely started it, and he was definitely into it. Don't worry. I'm going to fix this. I was mad at her all over again. Mad at her for telling him that I liked him. She was also the only person who believed me. What was I going to do now? That day felt like it went on forever. No one mentioned it to me the whole day, only Val. But they didn't need to. All of my friends acted weird, like they were walking on eggshells around me. The one thing I wanted to do after school was go to the youth wing of the church like I normally do. I didn't want to see anyone, and most of all, I didn't want to see Cam. I don't know why he would do this. Actually, that's not true. I know exactly why he did it. He got caught, he was embarrassed that it was me, so he lied. I hated him and I hated myself. Instead of going to church after school, Val and I walked home. 
Maybe it's not that bad after all. People probably don't even believe it. You've got a reputation, you know. I mean in a good way. I gave her a look. Maybe they believe it now, but they'll realize he's lying. Once anyone has a second to think about it, what makes more sense? A boy lying about a girl or the most Christian girl in school suddenly turns into a slut? The word hit me like a knife in the chest. Is that really what people are saying? No, no, I didn't mean it like that. I'm sorry, I'm so mad I can't even talk straight. As we approached my house, we saw Amy, Raven, and another girl whose name I didn't know. They were sitting on Amy's porch while Raven smoked a cigarette. Hey, Caitlin, you're more hardcore than I thought you were. I don't even know if I could do it in a church. So much for not everyone knowing. Val shot back. Why don't you go worship the devil or whatever you do? Maybe we will. I walked ahead, not wanting to get pulled into their shouting match. When we got back to my house, we hung out in the basement until Val's mom got home. I stood on the porch and watched as she walked the whole way, just so that she wasn't alone. There was a killer on the loose after all. Before she left, she said something to me. I know you're mad at me and you're not going to say anything about it because you're just like that. I get it. But I'm going to fix this. I feel terrible. I promise. I'm going to fix this. Okay? Two things happened over the weekend. The first was that Cam called to apologize. He said that Val told him how torn up I was over this, and he felt awful. He said that when he got back to the youth side of the building, it was obvious that youth pastor Tom had caught us. People were asking questions, and he panicked. He said he felt terrible. He knew it was wrong, and he was going to start making it right Monday and tell people that he made it up. I guess this was Val's way of fixing it. I told him that I forgave him, even though I didn't really mean it. Christians are supposed to forgive, and I was sure that eventually I would, so it wasn't really a lie. But I wasn't there yet. I couldn't shake the word that Val used on that walk home. Slut. She said that everyone knew that I wouldn't do that and they'd come around. But hadn't I dreamed about that exact thing? Cam and I, in the church? The Bible treats lust and sex as basically the same, and the world wants to teach us that it's okay. I couldn't shake the feeling that I'd brought this on myself. I should have done more to control myself, control my thoughts. Sin is incremental after all. You give in a little bit at a time until it starts feeling normal, and then you give in a little more. It's how spiritual warfare works. It's how the world tries to pull you away from God. I knew the rumors were a lie, and so did Valerie. But who knows what the rest of the school would think, what the rest of my friends would think, even if Cam did tell the truth. Maybe this was a wake-up call. A new resolve came over me. I wasn't going to let myself get into this situation again. 
The second thing to happen that weekend? They found the body of the second girl who went missing, the one who left her friends at a bonfire. Her car was found in the middle of a one-lane country road. Engine running, lights on, driver's side door open. So far, the Tri-City Killer had operated in the towns around ours. She went missing from the next county over. But they found her in my town. He'd finally made his way here. I don't know if Cam actually made good on his promise to do the right thing. To tell the truth that he'd embellished his story. But it didn't matter. After the killer paid our town a visit, no one was talking about me anymore. On Monday, the group walking to church after school stayed close together. Normally, we were spread out in clusters of two and three, but not anymore. We looked through the windshield at every car and truck that passed, checking to see if they looked out of place. There were fewer of us, too. Some of the parents started picking up their kids straight from school. With fewer of us at church after school, we were at risk of falling behind on the schedule of the construction of Walk Through Hell. We were even further behind after the boys spent a whole afternoon helping the head pastor rearrange the stage in the new sanctuary. I heard it took four boys, including Cam, to move that big, heavy altar. I also heard that Cam almost broke a bone in his foot when it slipped out of his grip. Me and Val were determined to stay on schedule with the walk through hell. The youth side of the building emptied out earlier than usual. When the adults left the church office side of the building at five, we had the whole place to ourselves. Cam left early, and I was supposed to go home at five, but my dad was running late. Val told me that if I wanted to leave with Emily Hart, I could, but we weren't supposed to leave anyone alone. The doors were locked and could only be opened by the push bars on the inside. It was safe there, but still. Besides, we were falling behind schedule. Now that fall was approaching, it was getting dark earlier. A car's headlights swept through the windows of the big youth room. The sun was almost down. I'd called my dad from the church phone in the fellowship hall and told him we were going to work for a couple more hours. We were almost finished with the final set for the opening scene of the show. Building these sets was the most time-consuming part of preparing for the walk through hell. Everything else went fast by comparison. Our parents would be expecting us to call soon to be picked up. Val was putting the finishing touches on one of the party house sets when I heard something. Did you hear that? I don't hear anything. I think I hear someone at the window. It's probably nothing. Come on, what if someone needs to get in? What if it's the killer? I gave her a look and she laughed it off and told me I was being too serious. We went to the door where the kids came in after school. It was a big glass door. You can see in every direction. There was no one there. See, it's all in your head. It was getting late. 
I gathered our supplies and carried them back to the storage room in the office wing. I asked Val if she wanted to come with me to the other side of the building to put everything away. She said she was going to stay behind and clean up our mess. I'll be finished by the time you get back. I had my arms full as I walked. It was fine until I got to the end of the youth wing and pushed open one of the double doors in the old part of the building. Over here, all the lights were off. I flipped the switch, but even in the bright fluorescent light, something felt eerie. The metal door clunked shut behind me, echoing out in the old building. I wasn't afraid, more like anxious as I made my way across the old building, past the old sanctuary, down the hall where kids' Sunday school classrooms lined each side of the corridor. The church library nestled between the classrooms, the doorways all dark as I passed by. As I passed the big glass doors in the old church hallway, the sky was pink and orange and the sunset was receding over the horizon. The office hallway was dark too. It was the oldest part of the building. When I got to the new adult wing of the church, I put everything in the storage room. I could hear the music coming from the sanctuary, where they play worship music around the clock to bless the space. I walked in and sat down on the furthest pew back, dead center, at the back of the big room. Behind the stage, there was this big cross over the baptistry and a light shining down from the ceiling. At the front of the stage, there was the big altar and the candles, the eternal light. They were almost the only light in the room. I glanced up at the tech balcony remembering the fantasy I'd had a couple of weeks ago. Looking down from up there, Cam's hands all over me. It had turned me on then, but now it felt gross. The thought of him touching me or kissing me made my skin crawl. That memory was all it took for me to start moving back toward the youth side of the building, back toward Val and safety. As much as I hated to admit it, I felt safer with her than anywhere else. I found myself speeding up and looking over my shoulder. I turned off the lights as I went, making my way back. My mind wandered to that man in black I'd seen in my vision. I reminded myself, I'm safe here. This is sacred ground. The doors are locked. No one can get in. As I arrived back in the fellowship hall, the sun was all but set. I hadn't seen or heard Val on the way in. I looked for her, but I didn't see her. The area around the set we'd been building was clean. Val had finished cleaning up like she said. Val? Nothing. Valerie! I checked the bathrooms, but she wasn't there. I started feeling adrenaline rushing under my skin. I went to look out the glass doors in the youth wing. Maybe her mom's car was there and waiting for me. 
I turned the corner to get to the doors, and that's when I saw it. The glass doors where I'd heard the tapping, the ones that were supposed to stay locked. They were cracked open. I felt panic like I'd never felt before. My chest roiled, and every cell in my body had two competing impulses. Freeze and run. I was stuck in that indecision for only a moment, until I heard something behind me. I ran straight out the cracked double doors, out into the night. I ran like my life depended on it. Tears streamed down my face. There was a car parked on the side of the road that ran alongside the church parking lot. A man, smoking behind the driver's seat, gawked in horror as I passed, clearly reading the terrified expression on my face. Hey, kid. Are you okay? I reached the top of the hill in front of a gas station and a cluster of fast food restaurants. It was a well-lit area, surrounded by people. I'd be fine here. I'd be safe here. I looked down the hill toward the sprawling church building. The lights were still on in the youth side of the building, spilling out of the windows and into the neighborhood that surrounded it. I caught my breath and stared. Tears were still falling down my cheeks, but I was regaining my composure. Just before I was about to go inside the gas station and ask to use the phone, I watched as all at once, the lights in the church went out. When I got home, my mom called Val's parents to check on her. They said she had just arrived home too. When she got off the phone, my mom told me that it must have been a misunderstanding. Val told her parents that I was the one who left her. I shouted her name through the church. I looked everywhere. She wasn't there. A part of me wanted to pick up the phone and call her myself, but... I wouldn't even know where to begin. So I did nothing. That night before bed, my mom sat down and asked me what was wrong. She'd heard me getting up in the night, staying up. Why hadn't I been sleeping? I didn't know what to say. I couldn't tell her the truth. So instead, I told her that maybe the Tri-City Killer was getting into my head. She sat there for a long time, seemingly trying to formulate her thoughts into words. And then, with a look that told me she simultaneously believed me and didn't, she gave up. The 
The next morning, my doorbell rang, and me and Val walked to school in silence. Up ahead, I saw Amy and Raven were leaving too, dressed in their normal all-black outfits. The tension was so heavy between me and Val that even they noticed we weren't speaking. Looks like there's trouble at Jesus camp. Val rolled her eyes and spun around. Shut up, Raven, or whatever your name is. No one cares what you think. Someone seems to care a whole lot about what I think. Val sped up to walk past them. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to be left behind, but I was also happy to be away from her and the unbearable tension between us. I stopped and pretended to look for something in my backpack. Val didn't stop. Surprise, she left me alone again. Amy and Raven passed by me too. Neither of them acknowledged me as they went by. I let them all go and started walking again. We weren't supposed to be walking alone, but I was close enough that if something happened, they'd hear me yell or scream or something, and still far enough back that I was separated from them. I still didn't like it. I felt exposed. A couple minutes passed when I saw Amy look back over her shoulder. She said something to Raven, and then they both stopped. I slowed down. Oh no. How could this morning get any worse? Hang on. She's by herself. Amy turned around and motioned to me. Come on. You shouldn't walk by yourself. I hesitated, but just for a moment. I must have looked like a deer in headlights. She wants to be alone. Let's just go. No, no. Hang on. I ran to catch up with them. Thanks. We're having a fight, I guess. Me and Val. Raven spoke up. Look, you can walk with us, but we don't care about the drama in Jesus camp. We walked a few moments in silence. Then Raven spoke up again. Okay, actually, never mind. I'm dying to know. Why are you two so pissed at each other? She left me alone at church last night. Some of us go to the church and hang out there after school. Yeah, everyone knows. You're all weird and culty like that. You know what? Never mind. No, I'm sorry. Keep going. I waited a moment, gauging whether she was just going to make fun of me again. She probably was. But I realized I didn't have anyone else to talk to about Val. All my friends were youth group kids, and it'd be like asking them to pick sides. What's the worst that could happen? Amy and Raven and all their friends already didn't like us. So I went on. She left me there alone at the end of the night. We're not supposed to leave each other while the Tri-City Killer is still on the loose. At least you were inside the church. Those were the first words Amy had spoken to me in years. Aside from, keep up so you don't get murdered a few minutes ago. It felt a little surreal. A little bit of a knot welled up in my throat, but I forced it down. Val left the door open when she left. It was cracked. Anyone could have come in. She did what? Yeah, that's really fucked up. She says she didn't, 
But I looked all over and I couldn't find her. And I don't know. I thought I heard someone, but they wouldn't answer me. Did you hear someone or not? I don't know. It was like footsteps and maybe a door. A thought suddenly came to mind. I remembered the last time Val and Raven had yelled at each other. Why don't you go worship the devil or whatever you do? Maybe we will. This was 1998. Some people had the internet in their homes, but not everyone. You couldn't just look things up like you can now. I'd been trying to figure out if I was being stalked by a demon. If something was trying to possess me, or worse, if it already had and I didn't know it. All of that anxiety from years ago in Amy's basement, the fear that my prayers hadn't worked. I knew I was going to regret it, but when would I have another opportunity like this? So I asked a question. So, what do you all know about demons? Okay, I think we're done talking. It's okay, I won't tell anyone, I promise. If you all worship the devil or whatever, I won't say anything. If this is your way of changing the subject so you can preach to us, we'll leave you behind again. No, that's not it. I promise. It's just that I... I think I might have a demon. It's like, attached to me, or stalking me. I don't know. It's been going on for a while. I think it goes all the way back to that night in the sixth grade. Amy gave me a look that said, don't you dare, but I kept going anyway. You know, like when we used to watch The Craft and pretend to do the witchy things in the movie. Wait, what? I'll tell you later. I've been seeing things in mirrors and I can manipulate smoke. Amy's face changed. Whoa, Caitlin, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I don't want to be like this. All of the books about demons don't tell you how to get rid of them, just how to keep yourself from getting them. Because it's not real. It's all about control. I heard her, but I kept going. I think it has something to do with the church. I don't know. Maybe it's because I made out with Cam in the walk through hell. Wait, that was real? I've needed to tell someone for a long time and I can't say anything to anyone I know. But you all don't want to hear this. Maybe I should schedule a meeting with Youth Pastor Tom. No, hey, listen to me. Don't be alone with him, okay? He's not who you think he is. I was a little taken back. I looked for Val, but she'd gotten ahead of us and was out of sight. Amy and Raven seemed to be having a silent conversation. Was he there that night when Val left you? I don't think so. I didn't really look at the parking lot, so I don't know if his car was there. We were almost to school. Okay, we're close enough now. I think it's safe. Oh, yeah, right. No offense, we don't want our friends to see you with us. I'd have been insulted, except I had the exact same thought about them. It's been fun, Caitlin. Hope things work out in Jesus' camp. Before they started to walk away, Amy looked over her shoulder. Don't be alone with him. Seriously. 
It took a couple more minutes to get to the front of the building. Outside the main entrance, Val was standing there, waiting for me. Where have you been? Why didn't you keep up? I walked right past her without saying a word. That night, I had another dream. I was wandering through the adult side of the church. The lights were off. I was alone. The proportions of the building were all wrong. The hallways were longer and wider than in real life. I felt like I was floating right down the center of them. Dim, bluish light came in through the windows, giving the whole place a magical feeling. I came around a turn, and in front of me, the new sanctuary. Inside, pouring through the big glass wall behind the baptistry, that same magical blue light. The next thing I know, I'm up in the tech booth, where I'd been in my fantasy with Cam. It happens instantly, with no recollection of climbing the stairs. I'm looking out over the space, taking in the quiet beauty of it. And that's when I notice her, down in the front. I see someone my age sitting in the front row of pews. It's Val. She's alone. And it looks like she's praying. The glow of the forever candles on the altar makes it look like she's shining. In my dream, I'm not angry with her. I look at her from behind, just feeling affection for my oldest friend. But then I notice movement. At the back of the sanctuary, almost directly below me, I see it. The dark figure. He makes his way down the aisle toward the front, slowly, but with purpose. I felt my breathing pick up, and I tried to shout Valerie's name, but my voice just wouldn't come. I tried to find something to make noise, but my arms and legs became jelly. Val was completely oblivious to both of us, to me and to the figure approaching her. I tried to shout again, nothing. He was just steps away from her now, and finally she saw him. I watched as she jumped and startled, but then she froze, staring at him as he continued his approach. She backed up slowly, climbing the wraparound stairs on the stage. He followed her up, keeping pace with her, and then she was cornered against the back wall. I was still trying to scream, but now, instead of warning, they were just screams of terror. When he reached her, he put out a hand and pressed it against her chest. All of a sudden, she was bleeding. It was coming from all over. What looked like a dozen different injuries appeared instantly. She was trying to scream for help, but I could tell it was too late. She was losing so much blood. She started to slump down the wall. And then I realized that she'd been looking right at me the whole time. Our eyes met, 
I was going to be the last thing she saw. And then the figure, satisfied with his work, turned his back on Valerie and raised his head. It was the same fuzzy, blurry mass that I'd seen in my fantasy. He looked up to the tech booth, looked up to me, and then I heard an ear-piercing scream. The scream I'd heard in my dream was my own voice, screaming in real life. My dad came rushing into my bedroom. I was lightheaded and hyperventilating. It was only a nightmare, but it had been so horrible, and I felt so guilty. Perhaps this was God's way of telling me that I needed to get over it and forgive Val. After all, there's a killer out there. And what if one of us was next? What if she died thinking I hated her? I laid awake the rest of the night. I was traumatized by the dream. I tried to put on one of my worship CDs, but it just reminded me of the music they play around the clock in the sanctuary. And that reminded me of the dream. The problem with believing in spiritual warfare is that almost anything can look like spiritual warfare. The idea that demons and dark spirits are at war with God over your soul, that can manifest in a million different ways. Was I dreaming about a demon murdering my best friend because there's a demon influencing me? Or worse, already living inside me? Or is it the anxiety that comes with living in an area with an active serial killer? even down to the worship music. Does it remind me of the dream? Or is that discomfort happening because my demon doesn't like it? There's no way to tell, so I have to assume the worst. And I need to figure out how to get rid of it. I made up my mind that despite what Amy said, I was going to schedule a meeting with Youth Pastor Tom. My eyes were wide open when my alarm went off. When the doorbell rang, it was Val. I told her that I wanted to talk, and we worked things out on the way to school. When we got to church after school, I was relieved to see Youth Pastor Tom was still there. Me and Val worked on the sets for the walk through hell. The boys were putting up the paper walls in the hell cave. I found a moment to approach Youth Pastor Tom without drawing attention to myself, but he seemed preoccupied. I wouldn't spend a lot of time worrying about it. You're a believer. As long as you're doing the right things, God will protect you from anything like that. I tried to ask some more specific questions. Are there any books he could recommend or parts of the Bible that he thought could be helpful? Hey, if this is really bothering you, we can schedule a one-on-one later this week. Across the room, Miss Hart walked in and tried to get his attention. She was more or less his second-in-command when it came to the youth group, although she wasn't able to have an actual leadership role. 
but she handled more sensitive conversations with the girls, and her daughter hosted sleepovers at their house. Before I had a chance to set up a one-on-one, he excused himself and made his way over to Miss Hart. I had the same dream the next night. For a second night, I laid awake. As the morning light started to creep through my window, I raised myself out of bed, exhausted and overwhelmed at the prospect of the day ahead of me. I managed to stay awake through all of my classes. After last period, I ducked into the restroom before meeting up with the other youth group kids to walk to the church. I washed my hands and looked up into the mirror. I don't know what it is, but I can feel it when it's about to come on. A sensation in the back of my eyes. In the mirror, I looked wrong. My nose and eyes were different, like another face layered over mine. Normally, I would be panicking, but I just didn't have the energy. I stared into my altered face, and then I heard a voice. Hey kid, you fall asleep over there? I hadn't seen Raven walk in. I looked back at the mirror, and my face was mine again. I must have spaced out for a minute. Did you and Valerie make up? It must have been the exhaustion, because I wouldn't ordinarily say what came next. What do you know about demons? Whoa, demons? What's going on with you? Even as it was happening, I hated myself. But the dam burst, and everything came pouring out. I don't know what's wrong. Something is happening to me, and I'm afraid it's going to win, and I'm not good enough to keep it away, and no one will believe, and I'm so alone all the time, and even youth pastor Tom doesn't want to talk to me. you know that we're, like, not friends, right? I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to make it stop. I just kept going. You know, I normally wouldn't care, but... If Amy said you should stay away from that guy, you should listen to her. What guy? Your youth pastor. He's got slimy energy. I don't like it, and I've never even met the guy. She looked at me for a moment, made a deep sigh, and then went on. You know what? I'm weirdly invested in this drama. Are you going to church now? I told her I was. She said that they'd meet me there in a couple hours. Amy had been talking about it, too, trying to help me with my demon situation. I don't really want to see anyone else there. What's the best way to get in? I told her that most of the other youth group kids leave around five, and there's a back door to the old sanctuary. I could meet them there. I don't know where that is. Amy will know. As 5 p.m. approached, parents started showing up to pick up their kids. I was able to find a moment to sneak away to the old part of the building, away from the others. I made my way to the back door behind the old sanctuary. When we were kids, Amy and I used to go out the back door and run opposite directions around the church, racing to see who could get all the way around to the front door first. 
It feels like yesterday, and at the same time, it feels like a very long time ago. I opened the door and looked in both directions. No one. They didn't come. I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was almost relieved. All day, I'd been worried about getting caught sneaking them in. Not that I'd get in trouble, but I'm embarrassed to say it. Just like Raven didn't want her friends to see us walking up to school together, I don't want my friends to see me with them. I was about to close the door when I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. I almost didn't recognize them. They weren't dressed in their usual all-black clothes. They were dressed normal, except Raven was still wearing her boots. Were they taking this more seriously than I'd thought? Raven spoke up first. Hey kid, still feeling possessed? Maybe not. Amy and I turned and shushed her at the same time, recoiling at her voice in the quiet space. I lowered my own voice. Everyone is just over there. I gestured toward the youth wing. I don't want anyone to see me here, either. Sorry. Let's get on with it, then. We would have to walk through the Hell Cave to get around the old sanctuary. I led them to the entrance, checked to make sure no one in the youth building was looking, and then we ducked into the long hallway. In each station where one or more of the youth group kids would be cowering in fear and torment, there was a sin written over them on the wall. They were spaced about 10 feet apart. What's all this? I didn't want to be made fun of, so I didn't answer. We just kept going. We passed by all the big sins. Murder, pride, lust. Amy and Raven giggled and caught each other's eyes as we passed blasphemy. As we made our way toward the end of the hallway, one of them caught Raven's eye. Why is gossip a sin? Because it divides people. Amy smirked. Gossip is a sin because the Bible was written by men, and when women have no power, gossip is a way to survive. If women tell each other which men are dangerous or who can't be trusted, then they have power. Outlawing gossip is about keeping women powerless. I managed to suppress an eye roll. I just wanted to get to the sanctuary and get this over with. We got through the Hell Cave and made our way to the new adult side of the building. After a couple of turns, we were standing in front of the big sanctuary. So what's the plan? Amy and Raven just looked at each other. Do you have a plan? Is there something you do to figure out the demon's name or what it wants? Okay, so all joking aside, I was just bored and thought doing some blasphemy in a church would be fun. But honestly, this place is creepy as hell. Amy gave me a look. She doesn't like big open spaces. We stepped out of the sanctuary by the door to the tech booth, where I was in my fantasies about Cam, and again in my nightmares about Val being murdered. There was a moment of awkward silence before Amy spoke up. Look, I think I might know what's going on, but I think it might not be what you think it is. It might be worse. She didn't get a chance to finish. 
Down the hall, we heard the sound of footsteps. Raven moved so fast, I almost didn't register it. She darted through the door to the tech booth. But Amy and I, we froze, staring in the direction of the footsteps, like kids who knew it'd be worse to run than just to face up to it. In my mind, I saw that figure in black, but I knew that couldn't be it. Nonetheless, I wanted to run, and then the footsteps made it around the corner. It was Youth Pastor Tom. He gave us a confused look, and then I could see it clicking. It was like flipping a switch. He recognized Amy. He greeted her warmly, and she gave him a nervous little hello. She seemed to shrink in his presence. The cavalier girl who didn't care what anyone thought was gone, and the girl who remained was deeply uncomfortable. We both stood there, awkward and meek, while youth pastor Tom asked what we were doing. I told him we were talking at school, and I was just showing her how the building had changed. She nodded along, and after a moment, she turned and gave me a look. Well, I have to go see you at school. Youth Pastor Tom said it was great to see her again. She gave an awkward little wave and walked around the corner, back toward the old building. I was suddenly aware that Raven was still behind the door to the tech booth. I stood there for a moment unsure what to do or say until Youth Pastor Tom spoke up. You know, it's great that you're trying to get her involved in church again, and the walk through hell is a great way to do that. But you have to remember to be careful about the company you keep. Sometimes, they can be more of an influence on you than you are on them. I barely registered what he was saying. All I could think about was that Raven could hear him from behind the door. My mind was also still focused on Amy. As she was leaving, she did something that I didn't expect. She gave me a look. A look that every woman knows. A look summed up in one word. Danger. Danger.